I'm Andy Burdannon. Welcome to the Indices Podcast, where my friends and I play indie tabletop RPGs. This time on Indices, we'll be playing The Extraordinary Adventures of Baron Munchausen. It's pretty much the grandfather of all indie tabletop RPGs and started my whole fascination with the genre. This is a favorite game of mine, and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed editing it. Yes, uh, I'm Winston. I work here with the gentleman here, uh, and um, I, you can see my blog, I suppose, at uh, lewinston.tumblr.com because my actual website is down currently. So there you go. Hi, right. I am Matt, and I have no web presence. I'm a ghost. <laughs> you should maybe remedy that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have I have several failed websites that I've tried to make. <laughs> well, make failed something, and, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> uh, my name's Tom. Uh, I also don't have much of a presence. I do have a Twitter. Ooh. It's the best Twitter. <laughs> Kjap Kemot. Kjap underscore Kemot. Uh, it's uh, three words only. So I've distilled the essence of life into three words. I can only post three words. Can every every a, tweet is every three t- words or less. <laughs> it's can, can we have an example? Uh, I'm tired. I'm eating. God, I'm tired. <laughs> Actually, that's JavaScript sucks. JavaScript <laughs> sucks. Yeah, Flash sucks. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. it's all accurate. <laughs> Sums up life, I believe. So uh, today we're going to play um, the extraordinary adventures of Baron Munchausen. Uh, the actual rules of the book are one page. However, the book is 130 pages long, most of which is storytelling and flavor. Okay. That's kind of what we'll be doing, though. So I also have the appendix printed up, which is all these story prompts. So what we'll do, what we're doing is we're pl- playing adventurers, basically analogs of the, of the famous Baron Munchausen, who is a real... Uh, Baron in Russian nineteen or seventeen hundreds era, who would go to um, go to the pub and then tell tall tales uh, and crazy crazy tales. Uh, nobody believed him, but he told them anyway. Well, uh, an author obviously recorded what he said. Yeah, yeah, and there's been lots of writings. There's been movies. There was uh, Ter- at movies. Yeah, there's a <laughs> there's a Terry Gilliam movie. Yep, um, it was pretty crazy. Um, but this uh, James Wallace made uh, made a version of the game that's sort of based off of the whole history, um, and that's what we're going to be playing. Um, what uh, what we're doing is we're playing as if we are analogs of Munchausen at the pub. And we're telling tall tales to each other. So I'm going to take this off. Um, but we're also trying to have the best tall tale, the tallest tale. So every story should be a little more crazy than the last Um, and we'll have these coins we'll have these coins here and these are sort of tokens that you can challenge aspects 
of people's stories. So, um, say Matt I, uh, said something about uh, uh, jumped across a cliff. A jumped across huge, a cliff, huge valley. Well, well, that that I thought that you told me that that cliff was actually you know small enough that a, a, a child could walk across it unaided. And right. What do you have to do after so that? So I give him a coin for that. He could either accept the coin and then he works with the detail that I've added to his story. Mm-hmm. Or he could take one of his coins and then give both coins back to me and say, no, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're, you must be mistaken. That was another canyon. So well, that, if, was, that was before the great earthquake, which, which yeah. you know. Yeah, and yeah. in that case, you keep the coin. But you can't do, if you have no coins, you got to be like, okay, you got to right. add it in. Okay. Right. So, uh, but I, I can also take the no back and then put add uh, yet another coin and then push that back and Just keep anting it up, amp it up. So everybody starts out with three. Okay. And is it, we're just telling a story. Um, is there an end game here, or just keep going until no? So one... we go, we do a round. Yep. Uh, and then uh, whoever has the best story. Uh, gets okay. uh, gets the coins. So you, um, the idea is that the coins that you acquire, you can then bestow upon whoever has the best story at the end. It's it's not really about the coins so much as yeah. the, those being them being tokens to signify. Okay, I can interrupt your story with a whole bunch of crap, but I can only do it a few times. Yeah. Um, uh, with. Um, with the uh, the actual end of the four rounds, we'll we'll pick a winning story and that's it. the yeah, and then that, that's the end. And in the game, it's like that's the guy that goes up and buys another round of drinks for the table. Right. <laughs> so it's and the uh, time frame of the stories is is not modern. It's no, no. It's seventeen uh, hundreds. Uh, there's a new version coming out that uh, has some different um, ranges of time but that's not mm-hmm. out yet is that is that pre or post industrial revolution 1700s I think that's pre uh, I don't know my no history... that's I think actually I think that's around the around it's the time Victorian. of the industry. Yeah, yeah. we have to keep technology in mind it's... when we're talking about this stuff. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, steampunk <laughs> well yeah. it's um, dirty European Victorian era Victorian like pre-Victorian pre-Victorian yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. so yeah. not not dark ages but you know like we're talking coal factories here or era. yeah yeah you'd, you'd have ships you'd Rail, just, railway I don't think you'd have railway uh, maybe just early aspects of it okay um, so like new world would have been found but would have been like brand spanking new yeah yeah right yeah okay 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 so uh, I'm not gonna start with a story, okay? I'll, I'll go uh, next or last or something, but I'm gonna give somebody a prompt. Okay, and then we'll- oh, uh, actually, first let's uh, let's do introductions. If you want to mention your Twitter handle or whatever you want, uh, feel free to go ahead. So with that, let's let's start with a few more three. Oh, uh, each story roughly you want to do about five minutes worth. So okay. Okay. keep yeah. keeping the short, keep them light. Big big clock right there. Yeah, we have a big clock right there. Uh, and that'll take us right to our time. Um, all right, so uh, let's start with Matt. Ooh. Tell us, Baron, the story 
of how your horse came to be hanging from a church steeple and how you freed it. Oh boy, you guys want to hear this one? <laughs> you bet. This is this, this is a personal favorite of mine. So as as you're aware, I go on many adventures with my faithful steed. Um, we've we've pretty much been to the new world and back on on this horse. Uh, many great adventures. This one time though, I'd ridden this horse all the way into Paris. Okay, and and. Me and this horse, we go way back. We're, we're inseparable. So as I was going to Mass in the Notre Dame Cathedral... Don't, don't, on, horses, don't horses only live for a short period of time before they're really unusable? Well... As mounts. Well, see, see, me and this horse kind of have a relationship where I, I you know, I, I rode this horse quite a ways, and um, I also... Um, Used it as a pack horse, um, and just just as a friend, as a companion. Uh, once once it got old enough, we just traveled together side by side, and uh, that was how we did. I mean, yeah, so many memories. That's how you do. <laughs> that's 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 how we roll. Uh, me and this horse, Tyrone. Um, so, anyways, <laughs> I'm I'm attending mass, and me and Tyrone are inseparable. So. I take Tyrone into the Notre Dame Cathedral with me, and well, well hold what, on. I thought the churches don't allow any kind of uh, ursine, no, ursine, equine creature into their into their holy places. Exactly. <laughs> this this is the crux of the issue. The priests, uh, I, I believe, there's the, the the bishops and the cardinals were even there. They lost their minds. They were they were very unimpressed with me bringing Tyrone into the church so naturally they tried to chase tyrone out um i couldn't let that happen so we opened the nearest door that we could and we scrambled inside lo and behold this was actually the stairway up to uh one of the uh the towers or steeples of the notre dame cathedral um i told tyrone to go on without me i'd stay back and fight off the uh the angry priests well, not fight off, but, you know, it's a figure of speech. You know how those Catholics can get. Uh, so Tyrone, Tyrone fled up the stairs all the way into the bell tower while I explained to the priests and bishops and cardinals that mm, it wasn't going to be an issue. Tyrone was not like other horses, was not like other unclean animals. This, this was a, a proper domesticated horse. Um, so once I'd finally calmed the priests and the bishops and the cardinals down, uh, I went to find Tyrone and lo and behold, Tyrone was on the precipice of the steeple of Notre Dame Cathedral. Okay. So I, I'm not entirely sure how Tyrone did this. I think, I think it was a miracle in its own right. Um, I called the priests and asked them to, um, bestow sainthood onto Tyrone right then and there, because this isn't, this isn't an or everyday ordinary event. Um, they weren't having anything to do with it, though. <laughs> they're they're a little uptight, these guys. Um, that doesn't didn't qualify for sainthood. Yeah, I mean, they're like, well, it's not technically a miracle because Tyrone's not technically a person, and they can't, uh, whatever. It's ridiculous te technical details. Um, I still think Tyrone is a saint. Um, I think you all do too. You've all seen me with Tyrone. So how did I get Tyrone down? Well, this is the tricky part you see. I had to gather a few supplies. So um, after mass, because I couldn't leave 
the cathedral without doing mass. I went into town and I got myself some supplies, about a hundred yards of the toughest rope you could find, a ladder, and uh, I thought you said you were broke at the time. Well, you're wrong. I have lots of money. <laughs> I'm, I'm a baron. I'm the wealthiest man there ever was in Russia. <laughs> so, so I, I, I got these. I, I purchased these. And, uh, you know, I, I constructed what I believe was this device, uh, a, a crane of sorts. And uh, I hoisted Tyrone all the way down from the precipice of Notre Dame Cathedral by myself with my own hands. Um, I wound the rope around and did some leveraging and physics and very advanced things that you you uh, you commoners probably know nothing about. Um, so I was able to leverage Tyrone all the way down. And, uh, well, the priests and the bishops and the cardinals still refused to um, give a wafer to Tyrone, even though he had performed a miracle in front of them. Um, and that was kind of it. That's that's kind of why I left the uh, Catholic Church. But uh, that's that's the story of how Tyrone got all the way up on a steeple of a church and how I got him down again. Uh, I think with that, uh, Winston, you have to be next. Um, so Top tell back. us, tell us, Baron, Baron yes. Winston, yes, uh, how you ca- how you captured the phoenix, which you later presented to Queen Anne. Ah, yes, the story of the phoenix. It is quite a tale, let me tell you right now. You see, I was in the mountains of Russia, hunting wild boar, as one does when you're as rich as I am. And right right, right near the skyline, I can see it, a, a bird flying towards me. It was, it was gorgeous, uh, a flaming thing like a dragon, but no scales, no roars, just, just bird cries and, and feathers. It glowed a bright orange as it flew closer and closer towards me. And I stood there watching in amazement. I noticed that that this beast, its mouth was open. It was coming towards me, screeching something ferocious. Oh my! It was a, it was it was a beauty to behold for sure. But it's dangerous as well. I could tell it wanted to eat me whole. I could say it was that it was it was the size of my castle. I would say. Size is my castle. It was flying right through the air towards me, uh, and excuse I, me, Baron. Mm, yes, um, I I believe you said you sold your castle a year earlier. Yes, do you, do, do, you don't have a castle. I did sell my castle, and I'm comparing the size to that sold castle, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Lowly peasant, let me finish my tale. All right, <laughs> I'll fight you. <laughs> <laughs> Take this out into the horse parking lot. So, (laughs) there I was on the mountain, a screeching phoenix running towards me, flying towards me, with massive wings, like like the hands of God about to rush me down where I stood. So, I drew my lance. Yes, my trusty hunting lance. I never leave home without it. It was once blessed, you see, by the the silent priests of uh, St. Petersburg. And I knew if if I was ready to strike down this phoenix, this is the only weapon that could do it. I bided my time, waited for the bird to come close. And I, when I saw, was, was that was that when you uh, you lost your hand? Oh, you noticed? Yes, yes. 
Yes, this is truly a. Uh, as you can see, I do have a hook for a hand. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It was it was quite jarring to be honest. I wish my aim were a little more true that day, but uh, alas, that's not the case. But still, I fell the creature. You see, when I saw the whites of its eyes, I struck forth of my lance, hitting true, right, be- right between the ribs into its heart. I struck that bird down, but it its its massive wing flushed down forward and and. Uh, Cut my nearly severed my entire hand off. Oh, it, it dangled there. It was a bit of skin, nothing left really. It was a clean cut. Ferocious beast, self cauterizing. Yes, <laughs> how lucky the bird was burning. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it writhed in agony for a while, but it was majestic. I could not let I could not let this beast suffer, so I took up my sword and ended its life. And that's that is how I. Uh, th- got the head of the phoenix and um you see at the time i was well trying to be a suitor for the queen at the time and uh i thought as were we all yes yes this is this is quite the prize to take back to a queen so i put the head of the phoenix in my sack and then Um, left yes baron earlier you said that uh, this phoenix was the size of a castle yes and the head fits in your sack Absolutely. How does that how does that work? I'm a very rich baron, sir. My sacks are huge. <laughs> Vast tracks of yes. pants. <laughs> you never know when you're in the mountains. You never know how big your prey is going to be. I was prepared for two elephants, really. You were my hunting, hunting my hunting tastes know no bounds. Anyway, I bagged the beast, <laughs> took it back to the queen, and lo and behold, she was very impressed with the prize I had given her, and uh, shall we say, she let me waltz. By that, I mean the, the band played and we waltzed uh, in a ballroom dance. It was quite nice. That is the tale of how we slayed the phoenix. <laughs> well, well done, Baron Winston. <laughs> With each telling, that phoenix gets bigger and bigger. (laughs) All right, pick one for me. All right. It was the side of the earth, I say. The earth. (laughs) So uh, tell us about how you started the French Revolution for a bet and who won. (laughs) Well, that's that's quite the tale. (laughs) So as, as it goes... I was in my my favorite uh, watering hole in Morocco. Hold on. Didn't you once say that you'll never set foot in that stinking place known as Morocco? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is true. I did once say that. However, that is the subject of another tale that we will get to <laughs> in a... Uh, a, in a later telling, but suffice it to say, I was coerced there against my will. Mm. <laughs> of course. So, but I managed to extricate myself from that situation. So now I was lounging in Morocco in my favorite watering hole. The Really the only place in Morocco that had any justification in existing. So... 
And and as you well know, Morocco has a quite a preponderance of uh, French revolutionaries. Oui, oui. They 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 just love to holiday there. You know, as you do. Vive la France, sir. Continue your story. Oui, oui. Uh. <laughs> so the, uh, of course, uh, I was drinking with the French revolutionaries. And, well, French dissidents, I guess. There was no revolution at the time, so they weren't revolutionaries yet. They were just unhappy Frenchmen. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, was, I was talking with, um, I believe it was Pierre. It must have <laughs> been Pierre. Yes. So uh, I, was, I was talking with Pierre, and he insisted insisted that the uh the catacombs beneath old paris were filled with the ghosts of the dead quite frankly that's ridiculous so i swore to him i will find out the truth of this i will go into the catacombs beneath paris and determine the veracity of your claim i thought you said you were scared of the dark <laughs> well that's true it, it makes it a very difficult task so I had to make absolutely sure that I would prove these claims without ever having to go down to the catacombs <laughs> it's, it's quite a task but I managed I managed so the uh, the whole uh, the whole plan for that hinged upon my hiring of some specific investigators that went ahead as an advance party and could verify the claims and bring back bring back proof. So didn't didn't you once say that you don't trust anybody to do your work for you? Yes, that's that's <laughs> which is why they had to bring back proof, and then I would go verify it with torches. <laughs> so but as as things happened uh there's there's these four characters from from the new world there's uh um uh, there's a, a red-haired woman a tall willowy uh blonde-haired woman uh a uh, skinny skinny uh skinny red-haired man wearing a green shirt a talking dog uh, and uh, some uh, this this other guy this very sporty looking guy wearing a cravat of all things um, and uh, uh, and they came back from investigating the ghosts hold on sir didn't you didn't the report say that uh, you allegedly tried to Sexually harass all your friends during that trip? <laughs> no, I don't believe that okay. happened. <laughs> so they uh, they returned from their voyage in the catacombs, and they had an outstanding claim that all the all the ghosts below Paris were actually men in masks. So, of course, you know, me being. Uh, the 
tremendous baron that I am, I had to go verify this. So I went down with Torchlight and uh, explored the catacombs, you know, keeping the dark out as, away as best I could. And I found the area where they claimed the mask-wearing ghosts uh, were residing. And instead of finding these individuals wearing masks, what I found were casks and casks upon casks of gunpowder. Well, then somebody with a mask or a ghost, I, I'm not entirely sure, came up and surprised me. So I, I dropped my torch, which promptly lit a fuse leading to the casks, and kaboom! The catacombs exploded. Well, wouldn't you know that that was right under a government building? And the uh, French revolutionaries chose that time to uh, start the revolution. So that's, that is how I started the French Revolutionary War as a result of a bet. That was in November, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just call Miggy. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us, Baron, how you forced the surrender of the Turkish ar armies at Constantinople with a chicken. Oh, that's a story. That's a really strange story. So, forced the surrender of the Turkish. Well, there was, uh, you know, the usual skirmishes between the Turks and the Russians. I was part of the Russian army at the time, and we were attacking down the plains, and it happened that during the attack, we, we were doing a cavalry charge, and as we approached the enemy lines, the horse buckled and tripped on something, and I kept rolling off, or I rolled off injuring my leg a little bit. But being the super soldier that I am, I got up, I stumbled my way to a farmhouse. In that farmhouse, I found... Is that, is that the farmhouse where you found your wife of 32 years? Uh, that is the farmhouse where I found my mistress of 32 years. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> so, as I was rooting through the house, trying to find, you know, some bandage or bandaging or something to take care of my leg, and I was in pain, the battle had uh, ended. Now, uh, you know, it's night. I'm still in the house. The, the, the farmhouse was definitely abandoned, but there were some farm animals. Except for your mistress. Except for my mistress. Uh, <laughs> it's a good, good afternoon. Um, <laughs> after we bandaged up my leg. So sitting there, I could hear that uh, not too far were the uh, Turkish front lines. So what I did was I, uh, I looked around and I found that the house had, uh, had uh, some gunpowder. So what I did is I concocted a little bomb... And I... Oh, uh, wasn't it true that uh, the gunpowder you found was actually black pepper? 
<laughs> it looked like black pepper oh. to the untrained eye, such as yourself. <laughs> of course, I forget my face. Oh, nice. But uh, what I did was I strapped it to the chicken. <laughs> and I ran it. And I hit it. And I made it run towards the lines. So what did you do when the gunpowder failed to go off? <laughs> <laughs> when the gunpowder failed to go off. Well, the... <laughs> it, the gunpowder didn't have to go off. The... <laughs> the scary <laughs> the seeing a chicken with a bomb strap to it spooked the Turkish armies who are completely awed by the audacity of someone strapping a bomb to a chicken at which point they broke their lines and ran away thus surrendering uh, that front to us so uh, we'll continue on with uh, the extraordinary adventures of Baron Munchausen. But now we are going to use the Whizbang companion app that hasn't been released yet, but will be released soon. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, um, I, ha- I actually have permission from the original creator of the game to publish it. I just have to finish it. Very good. <laughs> early access. This is cool. Yep. Yeah, yeah, early access. Okay. <laughs> Let's start Tom off because Tom was last sure. last time. So. Tell us, Baron, Baron Tom, about how you removed one letter from the alphabet without anyone noticing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. How did I remove remove one letter from the alphabet without anyone noticing? Well, that's a story uh, that happened when I was much younger and going to visit uh, Oxford. And I was visiting a professor there, and that professor and I got into a argument about what is the proper pronunciation of all the letters in the English language. But Baron, I thought you were illiterate. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, I didn't read. It was my manservant who did it. Ah. I, I would not lower myself to, to, to who, reading something. manservant again? Was this... Uh which, Which man servant, servant was this? Oh, I, I don't remember. This was when I was younger. And so we were arguing, and there was a disagreement about the, the alphabet at the time. And the alphabet had 20, what is it, probably like 30 letters. But we, uh, we were arguing about the pronunciation of all these special letters. And... He was uh, trying to write a book about how to pronounce words and how to do everything. So I made him a bet, a jousting duel, that if uh, I won, I would get to remove a letter. And that would be removed from the dictionary and all words stricken and renamed to a different letter. Of course, the duel, uh, being who I am, of course, I'm going to win. Naturally. So naturally, uh, it, it was a good duel. Don't get me wrong. We 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 fought for a little bit, but was, uh, was that the duel when you fought with uh, sausages? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the real sausage fest. I recall. I recall the sausage fest. <laughs> uh, specifically, it was kielbasa. 
Mm. <laughs> the, the finest of the sausages. <laughs> when I finally whacked him in the head really hard, breaking <laughs> apart the kielbasa, <laughs> he fell with a black eye. <laughs> At which point, I was declared the winner. And I got to of pick a letter. Of the sausage fest. Of the sausage fest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you whip out a kielbasa, you better know what you're doing. Jesting with sausages. Yep. Yeah. Now, remember, it's not the size of the kielbasa. It's no. how you use it. It's how thick it is. <laughs> <laughs> how girthy it is. Girthy, yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, by winning, I struck the letter, which I'm not going to tell you guys, because then you guys will try to find out what it was. And then what's the point of the bet? Was it W? Was it W? <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> but uh, we struck well, the Well, notice elf. that now the W is actually two Vs, not two Us. We struck it, and no one found out because everyone assumed that this guy knew what he was doing. And thus, the letter disappeared from the alphabet. Hmm. Interesting. Well done. <laughs> so you get to pick the next story. <clears throat> okay. So just tap the screen, and it'll <laughs> prompt a new story. If, the, if you don't like that, tap again. <laughs> Who's, who's going? Uh, okay, Andy, uh, tell us about the biggest pig in the world. The biggest pig in the world. Well, first I have to set some expectations. Do you know what the biggest pig in the world is? What's the biggest pig that you've seen? Um, all that's coming to mind is your mom jokes. <laughs> <laughs> She's a very large woman. However, I, I, I wouldn't want to embarrass you, though, Baron. The biggest pig in the world is more rightly described as another world. <laughs> oh. It has its own gravity well. <laughs> gravity well? I don't think anybody understands what that is. We have what simple peasants, Baron. <laughs> well, you see, when something gets large enough, it attracts smaller things. Is this tied to the story of where you hit your third growth spurt? <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> See, as I got larger as a small child, I would attract more and more small things. So it was this principle that I used when I decided to grow the largest pig in the world. Mm. This, this was my, my personal husbanding experience. Animal husbandry is hobby of sorts the uh, so I took the adolescent growth spurt knowledge and applied that to the growth of the pig and before long well it was gargantuan but it was only about the size of a house I knew I could do better so I went on a little bit of a trip and sought some advice and found uh an expert in uh, ursine, no, what is it? Uh, Ursine's bear. Porcine. Porcine. Porcine husbandry. So this, this expert porcine husbander, something, I don't know. <laughs> I think that word's missing a letter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> expert porcine husbandry. Uh, anyway, uh, the, this expert uh, taught me a key thing about pigs. It's that they desire to eat that which is unattainable to them. Mm. Bacon. So you just feed the pigs all the bacon, and they grow to be ginormous. 
It's a new term. I just coined that. <laughs> it is now official. So, by by feeding the pig the wonderful, wonderful bacon, uh, then I had a large pig that was the size of a continent. And eventually it sank beneath the sea. And that is where the legends of Lemuria came from. So, but wait, Baron, didn't you say the pig grew to be the size of another earth? Uh, that was a slight exaggeration, but yes, uh, it's another planet is, is actually what I specified. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and as it sank beneath the waves, it became an undersea planet and attracted lots of life. And they, you could see them set up little undersea colonies on the planet, and the civilizations that arose on the uh, porcine planet, undersea planet, was absolutely <laughs> breathtaking to behold. I wish you could have been there. Mm. <laughs> Seems flimsy, Baron. <laughs> okay, and that's our the next, story of how our Australia next came tale. to be. Is uh, Matt tell us tell us about the duel you were forced to fight against a swarm of bees? Mm, yes, but um, to clarify, this wasn't any swarm of bees. I mean, the way the way you peasants have probably heard the story told, it was just <laughs> your average swarm of bees. But this 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 was a swarm. Of killer Amazon bees. For those of you who don't know, Amazon is is the name for this gigantic forest they found in the New World. It is it is larger than almost as big as as Russia is. It's mind boggling. Anyways, the bees. <laughs> the the bees they have there are the size are the size of well large rats, and these bees swarm in groups of up to millions upon millions of these things. I mean, you've probably heard the tales of a plague of locusts. Well, they got nothing on these swarms of bees that I once dueled. <clears throat> so there I was, uh, exploring new land and new territory for uh, my glory and the glory of our king and leader <clears throat> in the new world, exploring this rainforest when uh, uh, I-, I-, I came upon a nest of these, of these killer bees. And, well, they insulted me. One of them, uh, I don't know where he found a glove, but he found a glove and he (laughs) threw it at me. (laughs) And, gentlemen, we all know what happens when somebody hits you with their glove. A duel, of course. So, I... Was was this when you cheated in the duel with the (laughs) bee? Well, I would not call it cheating per se, because a one-on-one duel with that bee would have been well within the uh, well within the rules. But he brought his friends; he brought a million of his friends. So I don't consider it cheating using cannons. <laughs> okay, interesting. So, so, so I was with my 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 band of explorers. We had our fleet of ships. Um, you've seen the 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 Golden Fleet; it's magnificent. Um, so I drew my sword and I started stabbing these bees out of the air before they could stab me. Their stingers were probably how could you feet do long. that if you were completely drunk? It's the last time you told me this story. Well, you see, 
my, my inebriation led to me being able to handle the bees much better. So, so you know, you know how when you fall down, if, if, you're, if you're sober and aware of it, you hurt yourself some more. Um, I believe the exact same principle. Applies so it numbed to you to bees. the stinging. So you were wearing your red shirt and your brown pants, <laughs> as usual, as, as 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 I do. So back to this duel. I, I staggered around. I drew my sword, and then I drew my other sword, and then I drew my third sword, and I started to stab these bees out of the air. Meanwhile, they were attacking me, and my my drunken state uh, assisted me. <laughs> um, I believe there's a style of kung fu called uh, drunken fighting, something along those lines. Uh, I, I I picked that up and I I've mastered it while that. I was drunk. I've I've actually mastered that. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's an incredible, it's an incredible martial art. It's 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 exhilarating, and the best part is you can be blackout drunk and beat anybody. Absolutely. Anybody, you you can beat a million giant killer Amazon. You even bees. get better the more you drink. <laughs> Forgotten the Baron has been to the Orient. <laughs> so late. So so I'm, I'm stabbing these bees out of the air, and um, it wasn't cheating to call the assistance of my ships because there was more of them than there were of me. So they started they started firing grape shot from all the cannons, and probably the battle lasted for a week. I don't know. I was I was drunk the entire time, so. Time, time is not really, you know, it's it's a little relative. Um, I believe there was a huge time well nearby in the ocean that was dilating time. Yeah, so, <laughs> it happens, really, it, it, it in happens. the heat of battle. Long story short, um, I only lost my pinky finger, <laughs> and I slew a million killer Amazon bees. Mm. I mean... And of course, that wasn't my greatest duel of all. I'm sure you've all heard that story of that duel, but that that was the time I dueled a swarm of bees. <laughs> Bravo! Very well done. <laughs> all right, your all right. pick for the next one. All right, Winston. Okay, Baron Winston. Yes, Baron, speak to me. What do you want? <laughs> T- tell us, Baron, about how on a hunting trip you turned a wolf inside out. Ah, yes, yes. It's harder than you think, good peasant. You see, there I was in the woods in a dark autumn's day, eating my victory kielbasa that I had (laughs) broken over my professor's head in a duel previously. When in the bushes was a growl. At first I thought it was just... Baron, didn't you say you were temporarily deaf? from a battle you had just experienced beforehand? I did say that, didn't I? Yes, (laughs) yes. I was deafened, but my sensitive ears could still feel the vibrations on the skin. I knew those waves to be the waves of... (laughs) (laughs) I bolted up from my seat, you see. Bolted up and faced was in the bushes, and lo and behold, there was... The third largest wolf face I've ever seen in my second life. Wasn't it actually a cub? Because you've never actually seen a wolf before then? Yes, it's true. (laughs) So imagine how large the wolf would be if this was just a cub. You see, (laughs) this cub wolf had fangs the size of swords (laughs) and fur more coarse than the finest chain mail. (laughs) Oh, I recall this wolf. This this was the one that turned out to be the werewolf. <laughs> yes, it was indeed. 
a small human child werewolf. <laughs> it's a cub. You you turned a human inside out. <laughs> It's Easy werewolf. now. <laughs> Allow me to explain the story. You will see I'm not a monster in this situation. <laughs> Please go on. You see. It's not just a human. It's a kid. <laughs> you see. You see. My manservant explained to me one time from a book I told him to read for me. <laughs> that there was indeed a breed of werewolf out there. That could only be turned back to a man if it was reversed from the inside. (laughs) (laughs) So I bravely strode toward the wolf, eyeing its evil eyes with my own, uh, emanating my courage towards its ferocious hunger. And as it growled, I bravely stuck my fist into its mouth. It tried to bite down. It tried. But nay, I was too tough, you see. (laughs) (laughs) And with one strong paw, I ripped this inside of the wolf from the inside out, pulling out (laughs) what was a human child. (laughs) And the wolf, you would think there would be viscera or some sort of blood. No, no, no. It, it was like a portal. This, it, it, it enveloped itself into this, this disappearing vortex as this child popped out of its mouth. <laughs> I took the child home. I raised him, raised him as my own. And one day I set him, set him on his own journey so he can become his own man one day. I named him... Mustafa. <laughs> Manfred Jr. <laughs> <laughs> he always wanted a son. <laughs> so he got one. That is how the tale of how I turned a wolf inside out. Bravo. <laughs> Good Baron. Tom, <clears throat> please. How tell us how you located the, the Garden of Eden and what you found there. Voices this time, maybe. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My voices aren't as good. The Garden of Eden. How did I locate it? Yeah, what did you and find what did there? You, find? you found something special there, didn't you? What did I find there? Ah, wow. What did I find? Well, oh, this is a great story. <laughs> this adventure, this adventure that I went on, I was actually looking for the Fountain of Youth. Not for me, because I'm perfect the way I am. But for gotcha. the glory. Yeah. For the glory. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so in the deepest, the darkest way. Africa, we went traveling. First down the Nile, then down on a, I don't know where, because we got lost. My guides were terrible, tried to rob me. Mm. Then but I the f- Amazon River. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I f- connected back then. <laughs> but I fought them off single-handedly, stopping my own robbery. Sing- single-handedly. Does this mean this story happened after you lost your hand? <laughs> Actually, this is the story where I lost my hand. Ah. When after fighting off the dozens and dozens of men single-handedly, <laughs> literally, literally, as they did manage to cut off my hand, I had to cauterize my own wound, bandage it up, and find the nearest village. I found a bunch of uh, local, uh, let's call them primitives. We went hunting lions and other manner of things. Uh, but uh, they told me a story, a story of a special place, a place where you could see the best and biggest of everything. So naturally, I, I want to go hunt in this amazing place. Mm. 
We traveled through the mountains, down more rivers. Uh, again, uh, these guides were much, much better. They were much more trustworthy than the Egyptians. We, we finally came to this, this clearing, this uh, row of trees and then uh, clearing uh, behind it. And, and there was this amazing field of animals and beasts I had never seen before. Is this when you created your army of beasts that then subsequently took over Africa? <laughs> it wasn't Africa that I took over that. <laughs> I did create an army of beasts, which I then sold to the zoo in England for the queen or king at the time, maybe. Uh, so it, was a, it wasn't really more of an army. It been a gift for the queen, exactly. regardless it was, of whether she was ruling or not. I can't remember. <laughs> I was intoxicated at the time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> celebrating, capturing all these well, from hundreds all, of animals. From all my expertise in animal husbandry, animals are much more trustworthy when you're drunk. Yes. <laughs> well, of course, I didn't handle them. I had my manservants and uh, the, the right. uh, local Manfred. locals helping out. <laughs> um, I wouldn't sully my own hands with that. Um, and... <laughs> and yes, well, that's that's true. Uh, so the first thing we did was, of course, we hunted all manner of animals because you have to to prove yourself. Um, Is it true you hunted these animals using uh, single-handed karate with no weapons? <laughs> yeah. uh, it wasn't as much karate as it was simply getting on their backs and strangling them with my one arm oh. uh, in a chokehold. Uh, very difficult to do around some of these large animals. So one-handed judo. One-handed judo. Sometimes I had to rip Graphic. up throats and stuff, yes. Um, <laughs> the occasional throat. <laughs> More stories, I it was, see. Let's, let's just say it was, it was so horrific that the locals were, were in awe of my amazing abilities. But it was at that point that we realized, or I realized where I was, it was the Garden of Eden. And in that Garden of Eden, I found a river, a gold pure river, which I decided to take a, a you know bath in. After all that hunting and the blood and the gore and the guts, you know, you want to take a nice bath. So let's be clear: the water is yellow, <laughs> and your first golden. instinct golden. is to bathe. <laughs> it's golden. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's <laughs> was it a golden shower or a golden bath? <laughs> 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 golden water from but, yeah. <laughs> but uh so I went in and I swam around and what did I come out and what did I find? My arm and my hand had grown back. It was a miracle. Amazing. Amazing. And that is actually what I found. I found my missing hand. Unfortunately, on the way back, I got stung by a uh, insect of some sort, and I went into a delirium, and I have no idea where the Garden of Eden is now. Uh-huh. Mm. Mm-hmm. I have the animals to prove it, but that's it. <laughs> but which you subsequently <laughs> gave away. <laughs> I did. So you have to go convince the king to go look at them. In his private zoo, he never lets anyone in. But people of note, like me. So maybe you'll get in. There you go. Very good. <laughs> it's, it's the truth. Pick <laughs> your story, see. Okay, uh, Andy. Sure. Okay, um, how you discovered every Italian spy in Germany with the use of a bowl of porridge. <laughs> These are actually really good. Well, uh, <laughs> the uh, it's really quite an interesting story. This was um, this was fast forward a little bit. This was. Uh, this was 
in the the grand 1900s. We fast forwarded a lot. <laughs> this was during World War II. <laughs> I don't even exist right now, then, do I? <laughs> well, we've we've all partaken of the fountain of youth. Let's be clear. So we'll be here for a very very long time. Mm. So during the height of World War II. <laughs> 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 During the height of World War II, there is naturally the Italian resistance. And I was tasked by the uh, British armies to figure out where to send the appropriate amount of support. But, of course, I didn't want to reveal to anyone the existence of the Italian spies. I didn't want the, the Germans to know who they were. But, Yet, I couldn't have any mistakes. I couldn't be giving additional support to people who did not support the Allied forces, right? I thought you were a, uh, what do you, double spy? Uh, what do you, what's a double spy? No, 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 what's the proper word for it? Double agent. Accusing the Baron of being a secret Nazi? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> a secret Nazi. Good sir, I refuse that remark that is very very <laughs> insulting to <laughs> to my countenance how dare you accuse me of being a secret nazi uh, you I sir to, i have to apologize before we throw down here <laughs> a gauntlet will hit that table if you continue to assert it <laughs> good call andy good call <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was trying to find uh, the Italian spies in order to support them <clears throat> in order to support them in their efforts against uh, hostile Germany uh, but everyone knows the Italians love their morning porridge mm. but the trick is how do you identify an Italian who loves morning porridge from a German who loves morning porridge? There, there are a few. Not nearly as prevalent as the Italian love for porridge. But the, the trick was that German porridge uh, did not support the use of barley. So you could have porridge with hidden bits of barley that just blended right in. Germans would turn their noses up at it, not go near it. The Italians, they would love it, dig right in, no one would be the wiser. So that's <laughs> what I did. So I made barley porridge all throughout Germany, and the people that loved it got additional support. Uh, sir, Sir Baron, wasn't that the time when the Allied forces had dubbed your porridge as, uh, I quote, the racist porridge, because <laughs> of its significance about sussing out Italians. <laughs> well, well, you see, fine Cockney lad, the, <laughs> I, I believe you are, have misconstrued the term. Indeed, it was called racist porridge, but it was not due to an Italian thing. That is merely a conflation of the term. It was 
termed racist porridge because after you after you ate it, one would naturally race to the bathroom <laughs> because the barley had a high content of fiber. <laughs> mm, it wasn't racy porridge. No, not not racy porridge. It was racist porridge. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it would give you the trots. So. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Trot, trotting porridge. I, I preferred the term, but for some reason, the newspapers got a hold of the term racist porridge, and, well, mm. you know the media. <laughs> That's my tale. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Indices Podcast. If you want to contact Indices, you can reach us on Twitter at Indices Podcast or the same thing on Facebook. The music on this podcast has been Dramatic Danger by J-Man at Our Music Box. If you like the show, we'd appreciate a review on iTunes. I like stars, preferably five of them. Be sure to check out the show notes for links, and uh, I'm not too sure about this sign-off thing, but I'll just say it anyway. Keep on rolling. <laughs>